tonight. We are in Second Chronicles, and the reason Second Chronicles is on my heart is because during my vacation, this was my quiet time reading. Every day I'd get up and read my Bible and uh, have that time with the Lord, and I was just reading through Second Chronicles, and there was so much uh, that was just uh, just poignant and jumping off the page and grabbing my attention, and so I began to kind of think through the different things I was learning and seeing and kind of putting them into categories and uh, was able to, to develop a, a, a message tonight based upon some things I was learning. And if I had to title what I want to talk to you about, the title would be Danger. Danger. You know, if you ever uh, are in a, a situation, you see something that's uh, poisonous, a lot of times it has the skull and crossbones emblem on it, and it'll probably say, Danger telling you, you know, this is something that can harm you. Stay away, stay clear, don't ingest. Uh, we see danger signs, warning signs everywhere to keep us away from things that will harm us. And if we will learn some lessons tonight, we will be able to steer clear of some things that can harm us. And I think you'll see this. Uh, emerge as we walk through Second Chronicles. We're going to be jumping all around, and we're basically going to be studying uh, different kings uh, of Judah. Now, just kind of a quick historical background. Uh, you know that David was the king of Israel, and David's son Solomon uh, became the king after him. And then after Solomon was his son Rehoboam, and Rehoboam did not listen to the people, and there was a great uh, conflict And at that time, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel throughout the book of 2 Chronicles, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Uh, Now, the northern kingdom had, I think, around 19 kings. And every one of the kings in the northern kingdom were wicked, every one of them. Judah had close to that many kings. I can't remember the exact number, 17, 18 kings. Uh, About half of them... Uh, did some good things. So there were some bright spots in the southern kingdom of Judah. And every king we're going to look at tonight was a king of the southern kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Judah, which, again, you can trace the lineage back to King David. But we're going to learn from these kings that there are some things out there that can trip us up, that can destroy us, some things that are dangerous. And so if you look there in your notes, we're going to just begin with this statement. Life presents many dangers, toils, and snares. That phrase familiar to you? The old song, Amazing Grace, uh, uses that phrase. Dangers, toils, and snares. And that is an accurate line in in the song because life does present us with many things that are dangerous. Many things that will will, uh, cause us harm. Many things that will trip us up. Uh, There are dangers out there that we need to be aware of. So, We must be, and this is the point of the message tonight, we must be vigilant by growing in our awareness of the dangers. We must be vigilant by growing in our awareness of the dangers. Let me read to you what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. The Bible says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself. In other words, stays away from it. But the simple go on and suffer for it. Isn't that interesting? The prudent sees danger and steers clear. The simple person, the naive person, the foolish person sees danger, pays it no attention, keeps moving forward, and is destroyed by that 
danger. They suffer for it. And so we must be vigilant by growing in our awareness of the dangers that are out there, the things that will trip us up in our life. And vigilance, here it is, vigilance, I want you to remember this phrase, vigilance leads to victory. Let's say that together, ready? Vigilance leads to victory. If you want to have a victorious Christian life, you must be vigilant. You've got to be on guard, because if not, you'll fall prey to those dangers, toils, and snares, right? So vigilance leads to what? Victory. Vigilance leads to victory. I want you to remember that phrase when we are through tonight. So what I want to do is I want to look at some kings in uh, kings of Judah, and I want to point out some times of danger that we all need to be aware of. Uh, if I could, I would throw up a, a picture of skull and crossbones, things that we ought to just stay away from or be aware that those times can trip us up if we are not vigilant, if we are not careful. So let me give you four times of danger. The first is what I call times of strength. Times of strength. When you feel strong and you feel like you've got the world by the tail, you got it all figured out, danger, danger, danger. Times of strength can be very dangerous times. And we see this in the life of King Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah was the king of Judah. And back in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we see that King Uzziah reigned for a long time. Look what it says there in Chapter 26, verse 1. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Anyone in here got teenagers? Raise your hand if you've got teenagers, grandsons or children. Can you imagine them being king of a country? All right. 16 years old. All right. He became king. And they made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Amaziah was an idolater and was overthrown by Israel. But anyway, verse 2, it says, He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a long reign uh, thousands of years ago. And so King Uzziah reigned for a long time. If you read verses 4 through 15 of Second Chronicles 26, you see that he experienced great victories over his enemies and enjoyed great success and became very popular. King Uzziah was a very popular king who reigned over a very prosperous, victorious nation. But that's what got him into trouble. He was strong. He reigned over a strong nation, but it caused some problems in his life. Why? Because success, and this is in your notes, success makes us prone to pride. Success makes us prone to pride. When things are going good and we're experiencing some victory in our life, we're prone to think, man, I'm doing a pretty good job. I got this thing figured out. I, I, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm, I'm strong. And, and when we are strong, we are, because of our old flesh or old sin nature, we are prone to think that we're the reason we're strong. We're, we're prone to think that it's all about us. Success makes us prone to pride. And here's the deal with pride. Pride, the Bible says, is extremely dangerous. 
First of all, God hates pride. It tells us that all throughout the Bible. But pride is extremely dangerous. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18 is a, is a very important verse that speaks of the dangers of pride. Let me just read this for you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. The Bible says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the Bible is clear. Pride goes before destruction. If you are a prideful person, you are on a road that will end badly. Pride is extremely dangerous. I came across this quote on a blog from uh, a writer named Josh Squires, and here's what he wrote. I thought this was an interesting way to put it. He wrote, Pride is a prison that perpetuates anger, hurt, and foolishness. In other words, if it's all about you, then you're going to be angry all the time, you're going to be hurt all the time, you're going to make foolish decisions. So pride is a prison that perpetuates anger, hurt, and foolishness while keeping at bay the restorative effects of conviction, humility, and reconciliation. He quotes Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction. And he writes this, Not only would pride be your jailer, but it would also be your executioner. So pride is a prison And pride is an executioner. Pride will destroy your life. And so that was the problem with Uzziah. Notice what it says in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. It says, But when he was strong, Uzziah was strong, he grew what? He grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, Enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so Uzziah is saying, I'm important. I've been king for decades. And if I want to go in the temple and offer incense as an offering, as an act of worship, I can do that because I'm the king. Only problem is God said, don't do that. The priest does that. So he was usurping the role of the priest. So look what happens next. It says, Azariah, the priest, went in after him. He goes into the temple to burn incense. Eighty priests of the Lord who were men of valor went in with him. They withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong. It will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah, because he's prideful, does what? He gets angry. It says, Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Who struck him? The Lord. Why? Because of his pride. The Lord struck him because of his pride, and he was usurping the role of the priest. And King Uzziah, watch this, was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house. He was excluded from the house of the Lord. So it didn't end well with Uzziah because of his pride. Success makes us proud, and pride is extremely dangerous. So what do you do? If things are going well, if you're experiencing victory and success and, and, and strength, how should you respond so that you don't get prideful? Well, this is in your notes. When you experience success, remember that the Lord is the one who gives you the strength. Because look what it says in verse 15. Right before it says that he was strong and grew proud, verse 15 it says this, 
In Jerusalem, he, Uzziah, made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far. Watch this. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So why was Uzziah strong? He was helped. God helped him to be strong. God made him strong. God gave him the wisdom and the wherewithal to lead in the way that he was leading. And so when you find yourself experiencing good times, you're you're in a place of strength, spiritual strength. Don't get prideful. Just say, thank you, God. Because apart from Christ, John 15, 5, I can do nothing. And if there's something going on good in my life, it's because of God marvelously helping me, right? Let let me just tell you something. Look at me for a moment. If you ever see me make a good decision as a parent, it's God's grace. If you ever see me acting like a good husband, it's God's grace. If I lead well as a pastor, listen to me, it's because I'm being marvelously helped, if you see good things in my life, it's, it's not Wade figuring things out. It's God's grace. And if things are going good in your life, guess what? It's not you. It's God's grace. You are being marvelously helped. And if you will remember that, it'll be an antidote to pride in your life. An antidote to pride. And so there are times of strength, and they can be very dangerous. They can be good, but they're dangerous. Because they make, us, they make us prone to pride. There's another time of danger that I want you to see that comes from some stories of kings in Second Chronicles. I call this times of distress. Times of distress. Look what it says in Second Chronicles chapter 28. It's talking here about a king named Ahaz. Now, a little bit of background before we read a a relevant verse. Ahaz was king in in Judah, the southern kingdom. He was the son of Jotham, and Jotham was a good and godly king. You can read about Jotham in uh, chapter 27. Jotham was a good king, a godly king. He led in the ways of the Lord. So Ahaz comes along, Jotham's son, and instead of following his father's footsteps, he goes in the exact opposite direction. He chose a vastly different, ungodly direction. Look what it says in Second Chronicles 28, verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David, his, he's in the lineage of David. His father was Jotham, but the lineage of David, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He may, even made metal images for the Baals. Now look how evil he is here in verse 3. And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So not only was he turning his back on the one true God, he began to make false images, false idols, and worship those false gods, even to the point where he burned his sons in sacrifice to these pagan gods. That's evil, isn't it? I mean, excruciatingly evil. That's Ahaz. And because of his 
decisions to turn his back upon the Lord, God sent judgment. And you read chapter 28, and it's just wave upon wave of God's judgment. First of all, he let Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, decimate Ahaz's kingdom. So, so Judah is getting attacked from the Syrians and getting attacked from the north, from Israel, and they're just being, just being obliterated by these, these foreign kingdoms. Then God sent, chapter 28 tells us, the Edomites and the Philistines against Judah. So Ahaz is desperate. He's getting attacked by the Philistines, the, the Syrians, the, 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 the Israelites, the, the Edomites, and so he says, I need some help. And so he sends for help to the king of Assyria. He says, would you come help me with all of these, these kingdoms that are invading my country? Well, the king of Assyria realizes how weak Judah is, so he says, I'll go get him too. So Assyria comes and marches in, and they come to, to march against Judah as well. I mean, he's getting attacked on all sides. All these kingdoms are coming against him as an act of judgment. And I want you to see how Ahaz responds under the heavy hand of God. Look what it says in verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 28. And this is such an important verse. In the time of his distress, he turned to the Lord. Is that what it says? No. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. He didn't get the message, did he? This same King Ahaz. And so what we see transpire here is that Ahaz responds in a wrong way to the heavy hand of God upon his life. God allows these these crisis situations in his life so that he will turn from his sin and turn back to the one true God. But he didn't get the message or didn't want to get the message. So here's the deal. Crisis, distress, hard times can push you toward God, but they can also push you away from God. And when crisis comes, like Ahaz, we will be tempted to rely on things or people other than God. When he's surrounded by enemies, instead of turning back to God, Ahaz says, hey, king of Assyria, would you come help me out? Instead of turning to God, he he turns away from God. He becomes yet more faithless. And so here's the, the principle for you and I. Let your trials remind you of how much you need the Lord. Sometimes trials come because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes trials come like Ahaz because God is getting our attention, right? To get us back on the right path. Whatever reason, whatever reason you have for going through trials, don't let those trials push you away from God. Let them move you toward God. Let them remind you of how you need to serve the Lord and follow the Lord and you need the Lord in your life. In other words, when you're hurting run to him. Ahaz ran away from God. When we are in distress, we ought to run, listen, toward God, right? Ahaz didn't do that. And so times of distress, for whatever reason, you're going through distress can be very dangerous times because they can push you even farther away from God if you don't get the message, if you don't understand you need Him, if you don't understand that He's your only help, if you don't understand that He's the one you ought to worship and follow even through difficult times. And so times of strength can be dangerous times. Times of distress can be dangerous times. There's a, there's a third thing here, though. 
and, and this is dangerous. And this is when you have no accountability in your life. No accountability in your life. Turn to chapter 24 of 2 Chronicles. We'll see this born out in the king of Judah named Joash. Now, to get the full um, import of the story, we need to kind of go back a couple chapters. Let me just kind of give you just a quick rundown of, of the background to Joash's story. Uh, chapter 22 tells us that Ahaziah was an evil king in Judah. He was greatly influenced by his mother. Let's look at it real quick. Look in chapter 22, verse 1. It says, The inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, um, his youngest son, king in his place for the band of men that came with the Arabians, it says. This is Jehoram's son, by the way. They came with the Arabians to the camp and killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned how, how many years? One year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. And so... So Ahaziah was an evil king. He was influenced by his ungodly mother and ungodly counselors. And so he only reigned one year because God caused his downfall. Now after Ahaziah was killed, his mother Athaliah began to reign. She immediately began to ruthlessly consolidate power by destroying any rivals to her throne. Let me show you how ruthless she was. Look at what it says in chapter 22 verse 10. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. All the royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. So listen to this. Athaliah was putting to death the sons of her son. She was putting to death her grandsons. Because she didn't want any rivals to her throne. She wanted to rule and reign. So she's putting to death grandsons. But this, this daughter of, uh, of the king, Jehoshabeth, she took one of the sons, Joash, and hid him away from this evil woman, uh, Athaliah. And the end of chapter 22 tells us that she gave him to a priest named Jehoiada who hid him and raised him in the ways of the Lord. They hid him in the temple, which was a safe place because it doesn't sound like Athaliah went to the temple very much, right? She didn't go to church much. She, she, was, she was wicked. And so, so Jehoiada raised this, this royal descendant in the temple unbeknownst to Athaliah. She's reigning. I don't think any descendants are around that she has uh, reign of Judah with no rivals. Then in chapter 23, it's a very interesting story. Read it when you have time. Jehoiada decides to go public to the nation that Joash is alive, that there is a descendant of uh, Ahaziah. And, and he gets the, the priests to defend him and guard him, and the people recognize Joash as king, and Athaliah is killed uh, in, in chapter 23. It's a really interesting story how Jehoiada puts all the pieces together. And then we see 
that Joash begins to reign. Look what it says in chapter 24, verse 1. Joash, the son of Ahaziah, who was hidden in the temple, uh, was seven years old when he began to reign. Wow. Seven years old. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada uh, was the priest that led him, that guided him, that taught him in the ways of the Lord. And so things are going well. Joash is, is reigning as the king from seven years old. He reigns until he's 47, and this, this priest named Jehoiada is guiding him, and things are going very, very well. But then Jehoiada dies. Look what it says in chapter 24, verse 15. It says, But Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. And so this, this godly priest who mentored Joash, who helped Joash to reign well as a king. And you read about the chest of Joash, he rebuilds the temple and all of that. Jehoiada was his counselor, a godly counselor. Jehoiada dies. And look what happens next. After Jehoiada dies, look how Joash responds. Look what it says in verse 17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the, prin- the princes of Judah, the, the governmental leaders came and paid homage to the king. I was about to make a comment about government. I'm going to do that right now. Don't get off on that. Came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. So these, these ungodly government leaders, these princes come in and lead Joash astray. And it says there in verse 17, the king listened to them for decades. He had been under the the counsel of a wise, godly man. But as soon as he's off the scene, Joash listens to these unwise counselors. And look at the ungodly decisions Joash makes. Look what it says in verse, verse 20. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, Joash, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. And then Joash is assassinated. This story is so striking that Jesus mentions it in, in Luke. He mentions of the death of Zechariah there at the, the temple as being a, an evil act by the leaders of Judah. And so, as long as Joash is listening to godly counsel, he's reigning well, making good decisions. But when he no longer has that godly counsel, begins to listen to ungodly counsel, he makes some very foolish, unwise, ungodly, evil decisions. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Just just what happened. And so what do we learn from that? Here's what we learn. A life with no accountability is, is in a precarious place. A life with no accountability 
is in a precarious place. If you're living where you have no, uh, you're not submitting to any kind of authority in your life, you're just kind of doing your own thing, doing what you want to do, and, and you're not listening to the right people, and, and no one is, has the right to speak into your life, to warn you, to correct you, to help you, you are in a very dangerous place. You are in a precarious place. You are headed for destruction. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, said uh, in, in, a, in a book that he did a study of, of people in ministry that had fallen morally. Pastors and staff members that had had moral failure in their life, and he and he followed up with a lot of these 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 folks, and he asked them some questions about what was going on in their life when the moral failure occurred, and he said all of them shared two characteristics that that were true of in their life before they fell morally. You want to know what the two characteristics were? Do you want to know? Okay. Number one is they had neglected their quiet time. They stopped reading the Bible. They weren't spending time in God's Word. They were busy trying to feed other people with the Word of God, but they weren't feeding themselves with the Word of God. That was the first characteristic. The second characteristic was they had no accountability in their life. No one speaking in their life, no one asking them difficult questions, no one checking on them, no accountability. And so a life with no accountability is in a precarious place. And so here's what we need. You and I, we need consistent. Everyone say consistent. Consistent accountability in our life so that we can be all that God has called us to be. Now, here's the question. Wait, what does that look like? What does it look like to be accountable? What does it look like to have accountability in my life? Well, there are two things, and we learned these from Joash. Number one, we need godly teachers, right? When Jehoiada was speaking into his life, and he was listening to Jehoiada, this godly priest who lived 130 years, then Joash was making good, wise, godly decisions. He was under the teaching of, a, of, a, uh, of, of, of someone who was teaching the Word of God, a man of God. So we need godly teachers. Now, uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Notice what it says in verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So talking about in the church, this, this idea of, of submitting to, to godly leadership that God places in your life to lead and guide you in the ways of the Lord. So wait, that's self-serving that you'd mention that because you're the pastor of this church. Well, listen, I didn't write this. Okay, God wrote this. And I don't want you to think Wade Humphreys because Wade Humphreys could, could die on his way home tonight and you have a new pastor, okay, coming up very shortly. Whoever a pastor is, if a pastor is a godly pastor, if you move and go to another church, if you, if you, if you not, not like in the area, but if you like leave to go, you know, move to another city or something. If you move to another city and go to another church, because you can't go to another church, you're here now. There's no leaving, all right? You're, you're locked in, I'm sorry. 
But but if you but if you leave, if you move and you, your career change and go to another city or whatever, and you join another church and and and, and there's a pastor there, and the pastor is is godly, preaching the word, standing for truth, doing the right thing, leading in the right way with integrity, then the Bible calls you to submit to their leadership because you need that accountability in your life. Because notice what it says here. These leaders that God gives the church keep watch over your soul. Now, I've heard people say this more times than I can count. Well, I can worship God on a lake in a bass boat. Well, amen. I can too. I can worship God on a golf course. Well, of course you can. You're outside and you see the trees and the grass and you're having some recreational time. You should be able to worship God in that setting. I mean, that's not under under debate. Here's the question. If you're in the bass boat and on the golf course and just doing your own thing on Sundays, who's keeping watch over your soul? Who's speaking truth into your life? Your buddy in the back of the boat? Are they speaking truth in your life? Your golf partner? Are they speaking truth in your life? You see, we need people, I need people, you need, we need people who are speaking truth over us and to us. Amen? God's, that's how God designed it. Over in Ephesians 4, it says that God gives to the church pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's how God set it up. That's not Wade set up, that's God set up, right? And so... We need godly teachers. We need to submit to godly teachers in our life so that we are consistently being fed a steady diet of truth, a steady diet of the Word of God. But not only do we need godly teachers, we need others. Listen to this. This is where it gets interesting. We need other, this, is where, this is where the church struggles. Not just this church, but every church. We need others to hold us accountable to live according to what we learn. Because what does James say? God doesn't want us just to be hearers of the word. He wants us to be what? Doers of the word. So we need folks that are checking in on us, that are holding us accountable, listen, to live according to what we are learning. That's important. And there's a variety of ways that can happen. It can happen in your connect group, if you're willing to be transparent and honest with each other. It can happen in a one-on-one relationship. Uh, that you have. I, I have an accountability partner, uh, a pastor friend, and we meet on Thursday mornings, and we ask each other some very tough questions on Thursday morning. I know they're coming. He's going to ask me, I'm going to ask him. And after we ask the questions, the last question is, have you been completely honest with me? <laughs> you can't even get off with line, right? you got to answer the questions. And, and I know that there's going to be someone asking me tough questions, speaking into my life. And so we need someone to say, hey, are, what are you doing with what you're learning? For example, um, we've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, in, in the spring and in the summer, we'll be back in Acts this Sunday, Acts chapter 10, the vision that Peter gets with the sheet and the animals. It's going to be great, so be here for that. But Not because I'm preaching, but because it's the Word of God. But anyway, it's going to be good. But here's the deal. We've been talking a lot about the Spirit of God empowering us to go out and tell others about Jesus. That's what Acts is about, right? Amazing stories of God's power as the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. What have you done with that? Have you told anybody about Jesus? Have you opened up your mouth? I'm not, don't answer right now. I'm just, have, you, have, you, have you done anything with what you've been learning from Acts? What if, listen, what if in our connect groups we begin to, a, begin to ask questions like that? that? Not, hey, did you see the football game last night? But, hey, you told me that you are praying for 
three friends and two family members come to Christ. Have you talked to them this week? How'd that go? Right? Tough questions. Hard questions. And so accountability is so important because what we see in the life of Joash, the minute he's no longer under accountability, godly leadership, no one's holding him accountable to what he's learned from the Word of God, he makes very ungodly decisions. Everybody see that? So learn from Joe. Don't be like Joash. Be accountable. Be accountable. And so we learn that times when you have no accountability in your life are very, very dangerous times. And by the way, we have accountability in our life for everything except spiritual matters, don't we? I mean, you don't, you don't go to your job with no accountability. There's accountability for your, in your workplace, isn't there? If you're a student, there's accountability in your school, isn't there? They call them tests. And term papers, right? Been there, done that. There, every other avenue of life, there's accountability. There is. But for some reason, we don't want anybody asking us hard spiritual questions. It makes us un- uncomfortable, right? But we need it. We need it. Because here's what's happening in the American church. We are learning so much. We have DVDs and study Bibles and Christian radio and Christian bookstores and, and, and all television. We got all these avenues to learn God's word. We're learning, 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 learning. But no one's saying, are you living according to what you're learning? Or are you just growing in head knowledge and not experiencing a transformed life? And so we learn from Joash that a time of no accountability is a very dangerous time. But there's one final thing I want you to see and we'll be through. We've talked about dangerous times. Times of strength, times of distress, no accountability. Fourth and last, this is a very dangerous time when you get near the finish line. When you get near the finish line. I want to show you why this is dangerous. Because some very godly kings don't finish well. And it's striking to see. Look what it says over in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. I want to show you this. Such a sobering passage. St. Chronicles 16. The story here is about Asa. Now, just kind of a quick word about Asa and, and uh, his, uh, his background. He was the, the son of Abijah. And in chapter 14 of St. Chronicles, Asa had seen God do amazing things for his people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the Ethiopians attacked him with a million people. A million warriors. That's a lot of folks, right? And Asa doesn't know what to do. He's outnumbered, outmatched. But he goes to God, he seeks God, he prays, calls out to God, and God gives him a great victory. So watch this. When Asa was depending upon God, he had victory. God came to his rescue. God helped him. Everyone got that? Okay. That's chapter 14. In chapter 15, a prophet comes and says, Okay, learn the lesson here. If you'll seek the Lord, he'll bless you. He'll help you. He'll he'll come to your rescue. If you don't... You can't expect God to show up the way he showed up in this story. And so, in chapter 15, Asa led Judah to seek the Lord. A godly king. Let's seek the Lord together. And there's like a time of revival in the nation of Judah under the leadership of Asa. But later in life, chapter 16, when he's faced with an attack from another massive army, and he's faced with personal illness... Asa responds very differently. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 
It says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, this is verse 1, Bashah, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. So, so we see that the, king, the northern kingdom is coming against him to defeat him. So Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Bashah, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad, listen to King Asa, king of Syria, and, he, and, he, and it says he sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and the store cities of Naphtali. And when Bashah heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which, uh, with which Bashah had been building, and with him he built Geba and Mizpah. So what's happening here? In chapter 14, a mighty army comes against Judah, Asa's the king, he says, God, I need your help! And God shows up, and they defeat the Ethiopians. Chapter 16, a mighty army, the northern kingdom comes against him, and instead of saying, God, I need your help, he says, hey, king of Syria, can you help me out here? Instead of going to God, he goes to the world for help. So how does God respond? Look what it says in verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied, watch this, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Now watch verse 9. Love this verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa gets angry with the seer, the the prophet, and put him in stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. So God comes and says, listen, why didn't you come to me for help? I helped you with the Ethiopians and Libyans. I would have helped you here. Why did you go to Syria? And then God says this in verse 9. I'm looking for folks that will trust me. Don't you like that? Who will wholeheartedly trust me when life gets difficult. I, I, I'm looking to and fro. And if I can find somebody, if my eyes will land on someone who fully trusts me in difficult times, I will come to their aid. I'll strongly support them. That's what the Bible says. And so Asa did not rely upon God. He had led in great victories. He was a a godly king for a time, but he didn't finish well. Matter of fact, look what it says in verse 11. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the uh, 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet, watch this, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his father's dying in the 41st year of his reign. Asa had some spiritual victory, some great moments as a king. But listen to me, Asa did not finish well. He died trusting in himself, depending upon himself, turning his back to the help that God wanted to give him. There's another story of of, um, finishing poorly. And it's Asa's son, Jehoshaphat. He should learn from Asa, but he does the exact same thing. 
in, in chapter 20, there's a great victory. There's a great passage where Jehoshaphat says, God, we're surrounded by enemies. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Would you help us? And God routes the enemy before him. Great victory as they relied upon the Lord. But look what happens at the end of his life in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 29. It says, The fear of God came all the came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. God was helping Jehoshaphat. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. He walked in the way of Asa's father and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. So things look good for Jehoshaphat. He's being faithful, serving the Lord, relying upon God. But look what happens. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the Acts of Jehoshaphat, from first to last, are written in the Chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hananiah, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. So you say, okay, good. Jehoshaphat finished well. Well, wait, there's one more little passage. Look in verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships in Ezion-Gebir. Then Eliezer, the son of uh, Dodavahu, that's my best guess, of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. So the last thing we read about Jehoshaphat is he enters into an ungodly alliance with the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, as wonderful of victories as he enjoyed in his life, did not finish well. We can talk about Hezekiah. I'm reading about him right now in my quiet time. He didn't finish well either. And so there are these examples of these kings who had very wonderful moments, victorious moments, but they did not finish well. Now, now, let's just kind of think about that for just a moment. Why is this a big deal? Because finishing well can assure a godly legacy. Finishing well can assure a godly legacy. If you've lived a, a life where you've tried to honor the Lord and make a difference and try to teach your children and grandchildren, you've been trying to consistently serve Jesus, if you'll finish well, finish strong, then that legacy will be cemented in the lives of your children, and there will be a legacy that they can hold on to and cherish. But the opposite is also true. If you don't finish well, one bad moment, listen to me, one bad moment can ruin decades of, of godly living. Did you hear me? And, and when people think about you, you know what they'll think about? Because it's at the finish line, they'll think about the one bad moment. One of my heroes in the faith is, is Adrian Rogers, uh, on our way down uh, to, uh, to vacation to go see our family, uh, I listened. Claire and I listened to a great sermon on prayer. From, I mean, it was awesome. Just we were amen, and it was just incredible sermon on prayer. Um, just powerful, powerful. You know, he's he's he he passed away. What year did he pass away? Two thousand five, two thousand five. So he he's uh, been gone now for ten years, and yet love worth finding still on. There's a podcast. He's on TV. And his messages are just anointed by God and just powerful preaching. And coming back, I listened to a message on the presence of God in our lives. And it was just, kids were all asleep. It was early in the morning. I had my headphones on. It was just incredible. I'm just, I'm just so grateful for Adrian Rogers' influence in my life. I really am. 
But just imagine for a moment that Adrian Rogers fell morally the last year or two of his life. Let's just say that that happened. It didn't, praise the Lord. But let's just say that it happened. You know what? Love Worth Finding wouldn't be on TV anymore. His sermons wouldn't be available on podcasting. No one would be listening to his sermons and being fed by him even 10 years after his death. All we would remember is after decades of faithful pastoring and faithful preaching and anointed, powerful, spirit-filled proclamation of the Word of God, he blew it at the end. We would remember that he didn't finish well. But praise the Lord, that's not the case, amen? He finished well as a devout uh, follower of Jesus Christ who loved his Savior to the end and held on to him until the end, and, and he finished well. And so the fact that he finished well has, has solidified his legacy, right? And he's still influencing people like me today. So finishing well can assure a godly legacy. Also, we need God's grace to finish well. Because listen to me, this is what I want you to hear tonight. Learn from Jehoshaphat, learn from Asa. There will be danger until the very end. Until you close your eyes for the last time here on this earth and open them in the presence of King Jesus, there will be potential to wreck your life and to finish poorly. Amen? you got to be vigilant until the very end. We need God's grace to finish well. Because there's always a danger of finishing poorly and leaving a, an ungodly legacy or ungodly memory instead of a godly legacy, godly memory in the lives of your children. And so hear me, listen to me. And we don't, listen, none of us in here know when the finish line is. We could all, any of us in here could, could get to the finish line tomorrow. Right? We're not guaranteed another day. And so we don't know when the finish line is. But know this, there's danger till you get there. So be vigilant until the finish line so that you can leave behind a God. You don't want the last thing people think about you is your, your moral failure, your ungodly behavior. You don't want that to be the last thing people remember of you and the, the thing that people talk about when they refer to your life. And so near the finish line is a dangerous time. And so what do we learn from all this? Way? What, what do we learn from all these kings? We learn that we must be vigilant by growing in our awareness of the dangers. Because vigilance leads to what? Vigilance leads to victory, right? Vigilance leads to victory. Be on guard every day. Walk with Jesus. Take up your cross daily, Jesus. Follow him. Keep your eyes upon him, the author and finisher of your faith. Let the Spirit of God fill up your life and empower you and, and walk with God every day and be vigilant because there are many dangers, toils, and snares.